You may open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and let us make a quick review of where we've been and where we're going this morning in the Word of God. We are covering the attributes of God, those characteristics or traits that make the God of the Bible the true and living God. This sermon series is entitled Knowing God because I want you to know Him better. I want to know Him better. He wants us to know Him better. And thus, He saved us and gave us the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit, providential mercies in our lives, and many other things for us to know Him better. When you look at a systematic theology or you take a course in theology which is the science of God or the knowledge of God, you come to his attributes very early on in your study. And there's many of them. And I fear that many theologians cut the study short, and I don't want to cut it short. So we want to pursue it as far as the Lord will show us in his word. But when we look at all of his attributes, we see first of all, and I've mentioned this last Lord's Day, but I want to make a quick review of it, his inherent Attributes. Those are the attributes that are intrinsic to the nature of a divine being. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He is omniscient, all-knowledge. Omnipresent. He's in all places at once. And we can go on from there. You know, we had about 12 of those inherent attributes that the Bible teaches us from His impeccability, that is, the inability of Him to ever be tempted by sin, His invincibility, his infinity, his incomprehensibility, and so forth. Most theologians will then go to a second category, and I'm doing this because it helps me in my mind when I'm looking at a large subject to get it broken into categories. And so we have all these attributes of God, all the things the Bible says about the God of heaven. The first category are those inherent in his nature. And we don't participate in those at all. They're very distant from us. And If all we knew were the inherent attributes of God, there isn't a a gram of comfort in it for us. not No comfort at all. Because you say, well, the power of God gives me comfort. Oh, It only gives you comfort because you know He's your loving Father. If He just has power, that's a scary thing. Just ask Israel standing around Mount Sinai when they saw His power. The next category are the communicable attributes. That is, attributes that can be communicated to creatures. And I use the word transferable, I use the word participatory, in that we participate in those attributes in this second category. Uh, That's the third category, in that, like His holiness, His goodness, His love, His mercy, His faithfulness, attributes like that, that He shows toward us, we can show toward others. He has declarative attributes, in which He declares Himself to be God. Now, the omnipotent God, if God were just omnipotent and he didn't declare himself omnipotent to us, how would we even know about him? But he's chosen to declare himself to us, so there are declarative attributes. For instance, creation. The fact that God created, the heavens declare, that's why it's called a declarative attribute, the heavens declare the glory of God. You would not know about the glory of God if the glorious God had not declared His glory to you by creating. And so we see it in creation, we see it in providence, we see it in His judgments, we see it in the revelation of His Word, we see it in His legislation of the law of Moses, we see it in the prophets and the things they said about God. That we see it in our conscience. God has declared Himself and revealed Himself through our consciences and all these other means. Then we come to the fourth category, which is the one I've been waiting to get to, the one I hope that I can cause you to delight in, and those are his relational attributes. Those attributes, character traits of God, that assist and promote him personally and intimately relating to us. Omnipotence does not do that. Creation does not do that. Holiness does not do that. But there are a whole category of attributes that show God to be very personal and looking for a personal relationship with you and a personal relationship with me. In Genesis chapter 1, I've used this before. I used it yesterday in my preparatory email to you about the preaching. We find these four categories of attributes. 
First of all, we find that he is omnipotent because he's able to say, let there be light. And there was light. Now that is omnipotence. That is unlimited power. When there is no light, and you just say, let there be light. And there is light. There is no sun. There is no moon. There are no stars for another three days of creation. But you have light without a source. That's our God. So we learn His inherent attribute of omnipotence, all power. The first verse tells us, in the beginning God created. So there is a declarative attribute because it is the creation that makes men without excuse. According to Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. So there's a declarative attribute in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And then when we look down through these verses, like when we come to verse 10, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called these seas, and God saw that it was good. And as we read through these different days of creation, we see other good things that God did. And so we see an attribute of God's goodness, the quality of what He created, the nature of what He created, its effect and benefit to us. And it's a communicable attribute because we can do good things toward others as well. We cannot show omnipotence and we cannot create, but we can show goodness. And so in chapter 1, we see His omnipotence, an inherent attribute. We see creation, which is a declarative attribute. We see His goodness. You know, we look at the fruit of the ground that He made for man to eat. And we, we think of all the different flavors and tastes that we have in all the various fruits that God made and the grains of the earth, the different ways that they're processed, the different foodstuffs that come from them. God is good. We see the sun. You know, a beautiful sunny day just warms our bodies and it warms our souls. A shining moon at night in the ocean warms us in a different way. And so we see His goodness. Then when we come to chapter 1 and verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. Notice what the Bible says about the creation of man, and that is about the creation of you and me in our first father. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. God made us like Himself in certain respects so that there can be interaction between us. God does not interact with a dog. A dog has a spirit that goes back to the earth and does not communicate with the divine being other than as a very passive recipient of God's authoritative sovereign voice of power. God does not interact with rocks or trees or flowers, though they reflect Him, By His creative power, there's no interaction there. But God made us like Him. He breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, able to speak and hear and relate to and love this other living soul. A living soul from all eternity. I am that I am. And so from the very first beginning of man's existence, we see that he is like God. There are similarities there. And we, you know, one of those big similarities in these two verses is obviously his dominion over God's creation. God has dominion over all things, and God gave man to have dominion over this planet, to use it as he sees fit, and for the best use of his own life. But if we come to, say, chapter 2 and verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Genesis 2.15, God gave man a job. That's pretty personal. God employed man in this garden of Eden. If we look at verse, in Genesis chapter 2, if we look at verse 22, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and look at this, and brought her unto the man. The Lord God ran a dating service and arranged the first marriage. My brother Charlie, I enjoy your sense of humor with me. Because the Lord did run a dating service. You know, we've had a PowerPoint study on a Wednesday evening a few months ago about God, the perfect matchmaker, in bringing Adam and Eve together and bringing all of us together with our spouses. But that's pretty personal. 
You know, when you get involved and you tell someone, I think that you ought to uh, meet so-and-so. In fact, I've arranged a blind date for the two of you to get to know each other. This was a blind date. You know, Adam woke up rubbing his eyes because he hadn't met her before, and neither had she met him. And guess who married them? The Lord God married them. That's pretty personal, too. When the man that's involved that knows both parties brings them together and they say, I do, and they make a covenant before the Lord. In chapter 3 and verse 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I want you to think about the fact that this man and this woman heard God with their ears because that God was speaking to them. This couple could, had, walk with God in the cool of the garden because God walked in the cool of the garden. God had a personal presence, though we believe in His omnipresence, that means He's present everywhere all the time, He had focused presence where He communicated with Adam and Eve in a particular place. And they went and hid themselves in the trees from the presence of the Lord. But notice how personal it is. From his intrinsic attribute of omnipotence to his declarative attribute of creating so that you can see his power to the fact that he created some very good things like what Adam thought when he saw Eve. And then he has a personal relationship with them. He walks and talks and has fellowship with them and communion with them. Glory. That's where we're headed. That's what we want to accomplish. Last Lord's Day, we looked at his jealousy. That is the first relational attribute that I believe ought to be gotten out of the way because it's a foundational one. God is jealous. This God that created us, not only created us, he sent his son to die for us in his great love for us. So because he made us and because he loved us and because he paid the price of his son for us, he expects a little bit in return. And rightfully so. How much does he expect in return? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy strength and all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. It is not an option. It is not a suggestion. It is God saying, I expect and I demand everything that you have in the way of passion toward me. Now, some may not, may not like God being spoken of that way, but that's the way the Bible speaks of Him from the first chapter to the last chapter. He made us. We are not our own. He saved us. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He's, he has all the right to all of us. Every part of us and each one of us. And so he is jealous. In fact, his name is called Jealous. And we want to come to him always remembering that if we're getting too excited about the things of this world, we are going to displease him and we will not have the personal relationship with him that we desire. If we are friends of this world and think that this world can make us happy, and if we spend most of our time or all of our time or most of our affection, most of our attention, most of our planning on the things of this life, That is called spiritual adultery in the Bible. Over and over, it is called spiritual adultery. It is called going a-whoring from the God. You're a whore. You're whoring. You're a whoremonger. And how are you a whoremonger? You are flirting with God's enemy. Because God and this world are at enmity against each other. And when we flirt and befriend and chase and get enamored with the things of this world, we are the enemies of God. And so he's jealous and we ruin our relationship with him. And he uses the strongest terminology and it's used in the most graphic ways that most people, most Christians don't even know are in the Bible. The graphic description of the adultery of the church of God against him by flirting with the religions of this world and the things of this world. Oh, brethren, let's remember that he's jealous, but let's get into our attributes of today. God is approachable. This being that existed and could say of himself, I am that I am. This being so holy that he would tell Moses and Joshua to take their shoes off because they were standing on holy ground. This being that can simply say, let there be light. And there is light. This being is very approachable. You can go right to him, and in the terminology of Scripture, 
He will put his arms underneath you. He will write your name on the palm of his hand. He knows the number of hairs of your head. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will deliver you from your every trial and trouble. He will never let you be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. This God is very approachable. And He created us to approach unto Him. And brethren, we're way beyond those outside these walls except those few of our remnant brethren throughout the world that are worshiping in spirit and truth this morning as well. He has saved us to know Him. Not only did He create us to know Him, but He saved us to know Him. He's very approachable. We're in Genesis chapter 3. Look at chapter 5. Look at Genesis chapter 5. We get to the first genealogy in Scripture, and we can only make it down a few levels from Adam, and we run into a man named Enoch. Genesis 5.21, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Do you know how personal that is? God didn't want Enoch on earth any longer. God wanted Enoch in heaven with him. And so Enoch just flat out disappeared from this plane of things and was in the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 tell us about Enoch and the testimony that he had that he pleased God. If you please God, that is how close God wants to be with you. And that is how close you can be with Him. You say, but God doesn't do that anymore, does He? Who needs to be taken out of this world? He'll walk with us here. Or if He takes us out of this world, our spirits are with Him. Who cares if He leaves our body behind? What's the difference? He's coming after our bodies one day soon anyway. I don't see any big difference. All I know is, I know more about God, and I know more about my salvation than Enoch ever dreamed of knowing. Because the Bible tells me that. Those are poor brethren. Even the prophets of God on the other side of the cross only spoke obscurely about things that they did not truly understand, nor the timing of those things. And we know both. We know so much about Jesus of Nazareth. We know so much about the spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places in Christ. We are blessed beyond Enoch. We can walk with him. That's just a one, what a story right there. You know, let's pretend you've never read the Bible, but you have a fear of God in your soul. And someone gives you a Bible. And you just start into it. And you're reading about this glorious creator in chapter 1. You see his power. You see that he created you know that light is good. You don't have to read that light is good because you like light. You get tired of darkness after eight hours at night. And you see Eve. And you see Adam and Eve and God talking to them. And you see a man now walking with God. And so before we can even make it very far in the pages of Scripture, in the attributes of God, we have seen the fact that God is relational. Walking with... When you go for a walk with someone, do you like them? Do they like you? Do the two of you like walking together? Walking together is a very intimate, personal thing that people do. Let's go for a walk. You know, we don't say that to everyone. I'm not going to come and say that to your wife. I may come and say that to you. Please don't say it to my wife. Because it's personal. And it's intimate. But Enoch and God walk together. You know, we only have to turn the page and find out that Noah walked with God as well. Because that's Genesis chapter 6. And these wonderful things are in the Word of God. Do you know the Bible tells us the next man we read about, Abraham, was the friend of God. The Bible tells us that in several places, that Abraham was God's friend. God is approachable. Abraham, Abraham, with his fathers, worshipped other gods on the other side of the Euphrates when he lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. How could a pagan idolater become the friend of God? Because God said, pack up, and move out of Ur, selling everything that you have, and start a journey, and later on I'll tell you where you're going. And several hundred miles later, he's on the border of Canaan, and the Lord says, go on over into Canaan, because I've given you and your seed that land. Oh, that That's some courage. That's some faith. And by that faith, he showed himself to be a friend of God. Do you believe everything God said? But God hasn't asked you to pack up and sell everything necessarily. 
If you're not near the kingdom of heaven and you ought to be near the kingdom of heaven, you ought to pack up things and sell and move to be closer to the kingdom of heaven. But he tells you to love your spouse. He tells you to serve your master on the job. He tells you to keep your heart with all diligence. He tells you to keep your vessel in sanctification and honor. That's your sexual purity. He tells you these things and you're supposed to believe him and do them. He tells you not to let evil communications corrupt your good manners. He tells you to pay your taxes. He tells you to pray for our government. So we do these things. That's how we become the friend of God because it's by doing those things that we find ourselves in Psalm 24 and verse 4 that I read to you earlier this morning, which is a descriptive verse about the character of the righteous that truly seek the face of God. Right. Amen. Turn to Genesis chapter 18. This is so much fun just turning the pages of Scripture and seeing how God has revealed Himself from Creator to a good Creator to an omnipotently good Creator to an omnipotently good Creator that wants a personal, intimate relationship with His creatures, those that He has chosen for Himself. Do you know that He's had my name written in the book of life from before the foundation of the world? Right. Do, do you know how personal that is? Do you remember the first time in school when you wrote some girl's or some boy's name in one of your textbooks? Maybe with a phone number? Unless you were born like me before they had phones. Well, I guess we did have them as a child. Do you remember? God's had our names written in the book of life of the Lamb from the foundation of the world. That's how personal it is. Do you know what it says? He has my name inscribed on the palm of his hand. Did you ever write down a note that you wanted to keep and not lose in the palm of your hand? God uses our terminology for our comfort. He doesn't need the palm of any hand. He doesn't have a hand, nor does he have a palm of a hand, nor does he write ordinarily. Because he's an invisible spirit. That's what the Bible tells us about him. He dwells in a light that no man can approach unto, no man has seen nor ever will see, the God of heaven. We will see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. And in that face we shall see all the glories of God that we are able to see and that we will want to see. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham was a... You know, how do we... How do, what made Abraham so special? Well, here's a verse where God said something to you about him. The Lord's talking to himself. And he says in verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? This is Genesis 18, 17. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. See, we're blessed in Abraham right now. Today we're another nation of the earth. How are we blessed? Galatians chapter 3 tells us exactly what this promise meant. We are blessed through Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. That we are justified by faith through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we are blessed. Verse 19, God speaking to himself about Abraham, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Abraham was a great dad. Abraham was a great father. Abraham was a great employer or master of the household servants that he had. We know he had at least 318 males because he took those 318 trained servants in in order to defeat five kings back in chapter 14 of this same book of Genesis. But notice, God knows him. Does God know you? Does God say, I know him? I know Jonathan Crosby. He's going to command his household to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment. And each of you, does God know you, each of you men, each of you women, are you going to teach your children the law of God? There was a law in Bathsheba's mouth for Solomon. You can read about it in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8 and Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20. You can read about King Lemuel's mother. She had a law for him too in Proverbs chapter 31. That whole chapter was written by a woman. Does God know you that way? That you love righteousness, you love holiness, you love justice and judgment? Because God will draw near to you. And this is what I want to show you. So God moves towards Sodom. It tells us there in verse 22. The men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And now now notice what it says in verse 23. These are just some of the little expressions in Scripture that ought to get us excited. And Abraham drew near. Now he's already standing before the Lord. He's already decided, I'm not going to follow the angels. 
I'm going to stand before this angel of the Lord that's representing God. I've just fed him in the door of my tent. I'm going to stay right here. But then he gets closer. He enters his personal space. And Abraham drew near and said, because he had just heard God speaking about their sin being very grievous in verse 20, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? I've got family in that city. I've got my nephew Lot and his wife and his five daughters, three of which are married to boys of Sodom. Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now all I want from this passage right now is the fact that he drew near and the fact that he had the confidence in the presence of God to dicker with the Lord about the fate of cities. And the Lord says, if you can find 50 righteous, I'll spare it. How about Abraham's doing some quick math on his fingers and realizing the best he's got is 10. So he goes to 40. Then he goes to 30. This is with the Lord God of heaven. This is with the Lord God of heaven that made Mount Sinai look like it was a burning furnace and said that if even an animal gets near it, thrust it through with darts. To 20, to 10. And Abraham thought, okay, I've got it made. I've got 10 righteous souls, but he didn't. He only had about one. And so the cities burned. But the point is, he drew near and he was able to reason with the Lord. You can draw near. You can reason with the Lord. I want to tell you something, and I, I don't know how much you believe this yet, and I don't know how much the gospel has really grabbed a hold of your mind and heart. You have an advantage over Abraham. Abraham only knew about the Lord Jesus Christ obscurely. Abraham knew that his seed was coming that would be the deliverer of the elect of God and that God would give him heaven. The Bible tells us those things. But, you know, we know his name. We know his mother's name. We know his brother's names. We know his sister's names. We know his apostles. We know what happened at various stages in his life. We know what what he was doing when he was 12 years old. We know that he got separated from his parents. We know what he said in the cross, the seven sayings of the cross. We are blessed abundantly. We know Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the promised seed of Abraham. We can draw nigh unto him so easily. You know, there are some events in Abraham's life. If I was to turn these pages to some different places, you would find some very trying events in his life. But God's been very merciful to us. You know, we keep turning our pages over to the right and we come through several of these books and we arrive in 1 Samuel 13. Yes, I'm jumping over many characters in the Bible. But we come to 1 Samuel 13. I've jumped over Moses. Do you know what it says about Moses and God? God spoke to Moses as if he were his friend. Face to face. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. What more can be said about the approachability of God? Moses talked to God like a man speaketh to his friend. Face to face. And Moses knew there hadn't been a Savior provided yet. Moses was the one in charge of all that animal blood being shed that could never put away sin. What a great example that is of approachability of God. You know, while you've got your finger held at 1 Samuel 13, why don't you look at Exodus 33 with me? I just want to show you that verse. I want you to know where it is in your Bible. I want you to know what place it is on the page. And I want you to see it while I read it to you again. Exodus 33, verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Wonderful words in that first sentence of verse 11. And he turned again into the camp. This is Moses turning again into the camp of Israel. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. There was a young man there that saw the relationship that God had with Moses, the relationship that Moses had with God. And when Moses went out of the tabernacle into the camp of Israel, Joshua, that ordinarily followed Moses wherever he went, because he was his right-hand man, said, nope, I'm going to stay right here. Because what I just saw and what I just heard is special and I want it. And I can tell you that before Moses got to die, God told Moses to take his hands and take some of his spirit and put his spirit on Joshua. And I can tell you that when 
Moses was dead. God came to Joshua and said, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Amen. He didn't say you, because that's plural. He said, I'll be with thee, right. and I will not forsake thee, neither will I depart from thee. Amen. We ought to look at Moses, and we ought to say, that is what I want. I want that relationship with God that Moses had. I want to be like Joshua. Is it that easy? That God will take some of the spirit of that man and put it on me? Yes. You live on this side of the cross. It's easier. Right. Remember, when Elijah died, Elisha knew that he was going to die. I had great pleasure this past week reading one of the simple Bible stories in 2 Kings chapter 1 and 2. Just Elisha knew by the spirit of the Lord that God was about to take Elijah to heaven. And so Elisha goes to him and says, I'm going to stay with you. I'm not, I'm not leaving you. And so Elisha go, Elijah goes to this city. He made it very difficult for Elisha. Why don't you stay here? I'm going to go to that city. Nope, I'm going with you. So the two of them went to that city. From that city. Why don't you stay here? i got to go to this city. So they went to another city. And another city. And Elisha, Elisha just stayed with them. And finally they reached a place where Elijah told them, Before I leave... Do you have any request of me? And you know you know this story. But we're talking about having a personal relationship with God with a greater measure of His Spirit. And Elisha said, Give me a double portion of thy spirit. Now that is a bold prayer request. Give me a double portion of thy spirit. And Elijah said, You've asked a hard thing. Because remember, what is Elijah? The most spirited man in the Old Testament. Until this five-minute exchange. Because John the Baptist came in the Spirit and power of Elijah. That's what he was known for throughout all of Israel. And Elijah said, if you see me depart, you'll get your, you'll, you'll get your prayer answered. And all of a sudden, the chariot of God came down into heaven, whisked Elijah, Elijah into the back of it, and took off for heaven. And Elijah's mantle, Elijah's mantle blew off him, because it wasn't enclosed, it's a chariot. You say, well, what about the oxygen needs above 15,000 feet? Are you kidding me? They had an oxygen tank in there. If, you, if you're going to ask a dumb question, I'm going to give you a dumb answer. Right, that mantle fell off, and Elisha, the Bible tells us Elisha saw him go, which means that God was going to give Elisha twice the spirit that Elijah had. Elisha picks up that mantle, that mantle and does some pretty wonderful things during its lifetime. And so he comes back to the Jordan River, and the prophets are watching. Fifty prophets, the sons of the prophets. And Elisha has this. And he smacks the water and he says, where's the God of Elijah? Guess what happened to the waters? Boom! These are Bible stories. What do they make you want to do? What do they make you want to do? I want to, I want to ask something big from the Lord. I want to draw near to the Lord. Am I important enough to you that I can have a bigger measure of your spirit that I can know you better? I can answer that for you right now. Oh, yes, you are. Because he gave his son for you. Right. He, has spent, he has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Right. He, has, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I, know, I, I didn't plan even talking about Elijah and Elisha, but the Lord just reminded me of a, a moment of jo joy and pleasure I had this week. I just got to throw in the one more. You know, Elijah raised the dead. If you can raise the dead, how can you do twice that? If you have twice the spirit of Elijah and Elijah raised the dead, how can you do twice that? I'll tell you how. You raise the dead when you're dead. Right. Elisha died, was thrown into a hole, there was a battle. A man was killed. They threw him into the hole. He landed on Elisha's bones. Came to life. Right. Is that twice the spirit of Elijah? Amen. You say, is that in the Bible? It's in the Bible. Amen. You didn't read your Bible story book close enough. So you need to read the Bible close enough. And it's stories like that that say, all things are possible with God. Right. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Elijah and Elisha didn't have Jesus the way we have him. We have the full knowledge of the Son of God. We can approach unto Him. 
Brethren, there's so much that could be said. We're in 1 Samuel 13 because God is offended with the profane, worldly, fearful, unbelieving King Saul. And so Samuel tells King Saul in 1 Samuel 13, 14, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. Your days as king are over. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Notice, God cut off Saul because he didn't keep God's commandments. If we keep God's commandments, God's not going to cut you off. God's going to bless you like you had explained to you from Psalm 34 earlier this morning by Zach, our brother Zach. But I want you to notice in this verse, and you know these words so well, 1 Samuel 13, 14, The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And that's repeated to us in the New Testament. Because that was the common designation for David, the man after God's own heart. Now how approachable is a God that you can have a heart like God? David had a heart like God. Does that mean that David was perfect? No, David wasn't perfect. I've listed all the sins of David to you. And they're far more than most people think about. But overall, he would confess those sins. He would repent of those sins and forsake those sins. And he was a man after God's own heart. What a description in Scripture for things like that. Look at Second Chronicles 15. Second Chronicles chapter 15. We're dealing with the approachable and personal attribute of God, that He is approachable, that He can and will and desires to have a personal relationship with His children. If you are not having that relationship, it's your fault, not His fault. It is not. He said, draw nigh unto God, and God will draw nigh unto you. James chapter 5. James chapter 4. Second Chronicles 15, verse 2. Verse 1, let's get verse 1 so we have the context. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. King Asa is facing a huge host of a million Ethiopians, has faced them, and said unto him, this is the message of the prophet, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, He will forsake you. Now that's fair enough, isn't it? If we seek Him, He'll be found. If we forsake Him, He'll forsake us. But He offers and promises and sends His prophets to tell us, I'll be with you. Do you want to be with God? Every day of your life, in bed, you're communing with Him. He's with you. While you're sleeping, the angel of the Lord, that is the personal representation of God through an angel, is in your room, keeping you and protecting you. Every one of you, even children. Do you know what the Bible says about children? To the apostles, don't you dare forbid them to come to me because their angels are beholding the face of their Father in heaven right now. Their angels, plural, plural. Oh yes, that's how personal it gets. Not a single child. Every one of you young children. In your bed, you can talk to God and God will hear you and God has angels right in His presence that will do His bidding for you and you have angels in your room protecting you from anything bad that could come through your door, window, or out of the paint. Don't think about that one very long, Abigail. The Lord will protect you with His angels. And you have an angel in heaven who's just waiting for God to say, go take care of her. How long does it take Him to get here? While he was speaking, before he finishes his sentence, the angel is here. That's what the Bible tells us over and over. Do you know how many verses like this that we can refer to in Scripture? I have them. I have most of them for you, but I'm not going to give them to you this morning because it'll take too long. But the Bible is filled with exhortations like this. Turn back a few pages to a verse that we know so well and love so well. First Chronicles 28. This is the approachability and personal nature of God. If you draw nigh to Him, He will draw nigh to you. When was the last time you made a concerted effort and specifically told the Lord you wanted to be closer to Him? I fear that prayers are more often, Lord, this promotion that's being offered and that I've applied for internally, I sure hope I get it. Will you help me get it? Do you know what? If you'd keep your present job or take a demotion with the Lord closer to you, you'd be happier. 
If the Lord gives you your promotion, he may put leanness into your soul. Israel asked for quail, and God gave them quail stacked three feet high all around Israel, 20 miles in every direction. And they put it together. They made the, 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 the modern, they made the pyramid of Egypt. Every, every family had pyramids of quail because they were so greedy. But you know what the Bible says about that? He gave them their heart's desire, but he sent leanness into their soul. That is a scary thing when the Lord knows that you want something of this world and he gives it to you, but he withdraws himself. Let us flush the things of this world and make him and a relationship with him the most important thing. That is fatness of soul. You know, I had a brother write me this week wanting to check on me to make sure my bones were fat. You know, your bones are full of marrow. That is health. Are your bones fat? And the way we get them fat is by, you don't care about the things of this life. They're very secondary to the things of heaven and, and having a walk with God. First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9, David on his deathbed had these words to say to Solomon. First Chronicles 28 verse 9, And thou, Solomon my son, know thou the God of thy father. See, God's knowable. He's been my God, now he can be your God. I think God's divisible because he can be divided. Oh, he is never divided. He is one God. Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Don't ever think that I'm dividing him up that way. I'm just telling you that he fully in himself can be all your God and he can be all the God of someone else, just like he was David and Solomon. Thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. There's nothing hid from him, my dear brethren. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. That's the word of the Lord. So today are we seeking the Lord? Are we seeking to know him? Are we seeking to approach unto him? Lord, I want you to be my God like you were David's God, like you were Solomon's God. And I don't want to ever forsake you like Solomon forsook you. I want to be like David that said he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever and whose last words out of his lips in 2 Samuel 23 were about your goodness to him. Let me die the death of the righteous like that. It's not God's unfaithfulness that stops up his ears or shortens his hands. It's your unfaithfulness. Right. God can fill you with all the fullness of God if you'll pray for it and seek it and submit yourself to the Holy Spirit of the living God. If you'll humble yourself and make spiritual things the most important things in your life, if you'll guard the inputs to your soul, what comes through your ears, what comes, what comes through your eyes and what comes through your ears, if you'll guard those inputs, if you'll make them spiritual and if you'll cut off the world's inputs, you will draw closer to God and God will draw closer to you. John chapter 14. Look at John chapter 14 and verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, This is Judas, not Iscariot. If a man love me, John 14, 23, If a man love me, he will keep my words. Do you know how you can tell if you love the Lord? It's not by singing, Oh, how I love Jesus. That doesn't mean anything. In fact, it's a stench in his nostrils. It's an abomination to him. Unless that is true from your heart and it's true of where your feet take you on a daily basis. If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Those words are, are unbelievable. Those are unbelievable words that God the Father, who is the Almighty God, who is the Lord Jehovah, will come to a man, him, him, a singular male, and will make our abode with him. We will stay there. We will dwell with him. We will be his God and he shall be our son. That's the promise of Scripture. Jesus would say in a text that's going to be abused 10,000 times today in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that verse doesn't have a thing to do with salvation. It doesn't have a thing to do with going to heaven. These are words of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church of Laodicea. They're already saved. 
But they didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They were going through the rituals of their religion. They were going through the church services. They were going through their church programs. But they didn't have a personal relationship. And so Jesus would say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That is personal. I'm at the door. If he'll open that door, I will come in. And we can sit down at a table and have bread and wine together like Abraham and Melchizedek had. We can sup together. We can have a meal together. That is as personal and as approachable as can be. Jesus Christ is standing there. If any man hear my voice, I'm preaching as his ambassador today. Do you hear his voice? And open the door. How do we open the door? By confessing our sins and saying, Lord, come in and walk with me more personally, more practically, more intimately every day. Forgive me for getting so distracted with all the duties and things of this life. Lord, help me. Have mercy upon me. I want you more than anything else. There isn't a real door to open. It's by faith that we reach out and claim the Lord Jesus Christ's offer by faith. This is the, These are the attributes of God. I don't want to end with, He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can create the sun. He can stop the sun for Joshua. He can move the sun back 10 degrees for Hezekiah. I don't want to entertain you with that. I want to bring you to this. He'll come and make His abode with you. He'll dwell with you. He'll live with you. You can walk with Him every day, every hour of every day and every night. Lord, help us to take advantage of that. But you better approach Him on His terms because He doesn't care what you're doing outwardly. He wants to know that it is your heart's desire. The hypocrite that tries to trust in his ceremonial religion will never have a relationship with God like I'm describing to you. And the Bible says that very many times they draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's over. He doesn't care one bit about that stuff. He hates it. It's a stench in his nostrils. He says, away with it! Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 58, Malachi chapter 1, and on and on it goes. The the Lord hated ceremonial, ritualistic religion where there wasn't a personal relationship or a desire for that relationship with Him. Let me comfort you that God is impartial. Every other relationship you have in life depends upon you having something to offer the relationship. You know, if you're going to make it far in a beauty contest, you better have some looks. If you're going to make it very far to a powerlifting contest, you better have some strength and power. If you're going to make it very far in a 5K, you better have some speed and endurance. If you're going to make it in the financial world, you better have some assets. If you're going to make it in the academic world, you better have some intelligence and some education. And so we're constantly being cut off, cut off, cut off because we don't have what others want and and demand for a relationship. But that's not true with God at all. We've already had read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26 that how you see your calling, brethren, that not many mighty, not many noble, not many rich, not many wise are called, but God's chosen the foolish, base, poor, and weak things of this world. In fact, He's chosen the things that are nothing to bring to naught the things that are. You know, the Bible, one of the proofs of inspiration of the Bible is that its heroes have their skeletons pulled out of closets and hung out for you to read. You know, when we think about David, he was guilty of royal polygamy, which was a crime against the law of Moses. He was a king that had multiplied wives to himself in direct violation of the word of God. He didn't keep the Feast of Booths his entire reign of 40 years. He moved the ark wrongly, and it cost the man Uzzah his life. He numbered Israel, and it cost 70,000 lives. He was a bad father and ruined most of his sons' and daughters' lives, and he was guilty of aggravated adultery and murder. And that's revealed for us plainly in the Word of God, and yet who is called the man after God's own heart? And who died the man after God's own heart? And do you know what another name of Jesus is in prophecy? David. Of course it's the son of David. He's the son of David throughout the rest of the Bible, but he's just called David. He's impartial. Because if a man will repent of his sins and draw nigh to God, God will draw nigh to him. 
In this world, you've always got to be wondering what people are thinking about you and they're going to cut you off because you're this or because you're that. But look at Galatians chapter 3. Do you know what you are in Christ Jesus? You are everything. You are a brother of the Lord of the universe. You are a royal priest of the King of Heaven and the High Priest of God. Look at at what the Bible will say. Galatians 3. Now verse 29 is one I've already quoted to you twice today. And if ye be Christ, Galatians 3.29, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. It doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Greek, and the Greeks didn't like the Jews, and the Jews didn't like the Greeks. There is neither bond nor free. What a big difference between a slave owner and a slave. There is neither male nor female. What a difference in the sexual orientation and sexual apparatus and sexual nature of a man and a woman that God made. There's no difference for you're all one in Christ Jesus. When it comes down to our relationship with God, there is no difference between a man and a woman, a Jew and a Greek, a bond or free, Greek or barbarian or Scythian, as the New Testament teaches us. See, he's impartial. He's totally impartial. He doesn't care about any of those things that everyone else cares about. Do you believe that the Lord is divisible? In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I want to make that very clear, that I'm not saying God divides himself into two and then divides himself into four. God doesn't have to do that because God has properties that you've never met before. And it's called omnipresent. He can be fully in all places at one time. You say, well, if he's fully in one place, how can he be fully in another place? Because he's God and you're not, and you're not even smart enough to figure it out, think about it, or put it down on a piece of paper as to how it works. Amen. He's omnipresent. Look what it says about him in Jeremiah chapter 23. He is divisible. And this fact is when you're lying in your bed and you're wondering who else is praying right now, can I get an audience with the Most High God? He never has a problem. Amen. There's no problem. You know, the phone isn't busy. When you call, you know, if you call someone else, the phone might be busy. You might get the answering machine. Do you like getting the answering machine? How would you like to get an answering machine in prayer? And wouldn't that be horrible? I mean, it bothers me a lot when I call anybody, especially if they have a cell phone. (laughs) Because, you know, there's only one reason to have a cell phone. That means you are at my beck and call 24-7. Because otherwise, why would you carry that stupid little device? Because you don't need it for anything else except to be available. And so when I call somebody, anyway, you, don't, you didn't hear any of that. I, he is divisible. Do you know that you can have all there is of God, yourself? Did we have a young man get up in this pulpit a few weeks ago and say, the Lord is my shepherd? Right. Did David say about a hundred times, my God? Did Thomas say, my Lord? And my God. Personally. Because he's divisible. In that he can give himself fully to each of us. Independent of any other relationship. You know we are not that way. We have to push out thoughts of everyone else. And everything else. That would distract us from our relationship with him. But he doesn't have to do that at all. He can be maintaining a personal. Intimate full relationship. With everyone that has done that. While everyone that has done that has to keep every other thought at bay in order to be able to focus entirely upon him. We are not divisible, and he is. We cannot serve two masters, but he can certainly serve more than two believers. Jeremiah 23, verse 24, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord. We can't hide or go anywhere but the Lord can see us. Verse 23, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? What am I? Am I a God at hand? Am I nigh unto them that have a broken and a contrite heart, as we had read to us today? Or am I a God afar off? They like to sing. Some of these popular gospel singers, you know that God is watching us from a distance. No, He isn't doing anything like that. They don't even know God of the Bible. They certainly don't live for the God of the Bible. God is walking with His people, and He's not at a distance. He's nigh unto all them that call upon Him. 
He's not a God afar off. He's a very present help in time of trouble, the Bible tells us. Lord, help us to believe that. Look at John chapter 3. John John chapter 3. Here's a verse that in most other versions of the Bible, this clause is going to be removed because it's just too difficult for them to deal with. So the easiest way to deal with the difficulty is to eliminate it. John chapter 3 and verse 13. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He's about to lay a bomb on Nicodemus. Verse 13, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man. Now, if we were reading from the English Standard Version or the New American Standard Version of the NIV, we're, we're at the end of the verse and it's over. But there's some precious words there. We have in our King James Bibles, which is in heaven. Wait a minute. The Lord Jesus Christ came down from heaven and he is in heaven. He tells Nicodemus, I came down from heaven. I'm talking to you, Nicodemus, and I am in heaven. He uses the uh, present tense verb of being in heaven. I, he is in heaven, which is in heaven. Is, not shall be in heaven or was in heaven, but is in heaven. Because in the divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, it could be in both places at once. And he was in both places at once. And he sticks that in our King James Bibles. And is it a little difficult? All it does is cause us to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his divine nature was fully God, Jehovah in the flesh. And in his body he was fully man, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He is very divisible, and the Lord Jesus Christ showed that personally. Do you remember when another young man stood in this pulpit and read to us Psalm 139? Do you remember Psalm 139? If I make my bed in hell, behold... Thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and fly into heaven, behold, thou art there. When I was in my mother's womb, and I hadn't even been formed yet, and I was very, 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 very small, thou art there and had me all together, surrounded, and you had all my members written in your book before they were ever fashioned. Remember? First 18 verses of Psalm 139 are outstanding about the divisibility of God that no matter where David went, no matter what circumstances he was under, even if he didn't speak the words, but the words were still in his tongue, God knew them. I need the word that starts with A. All together. How many words did he miss? So you mean when I don't even say things and I'm just thinking them and feeling them that God knows them all together? How's that? You say, but what if he's busy with David in the world and and then I am thinking something? That's what I'm talking about right now. He's divisible. He's able to know those things about you and anyone. He's got angels protecting you and all of his saints. By virtue of this attribute, God has very personal relationships with every man. And it's so wonderful to, to read the Bible and see those specific things. Now, my God... Paul would write to the churches in the New Testament, is able to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. My God. Why didn't he say our God? Because that just diluted it for Paul. Paul wanted to say my God. Was he their God, our God? Yes, yes. But Paul wanted to say my God. My brethren. Turn to Luke chapter 8. I'm almost done. Listen. If we wanted to really walk with God, we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to leave these services very quickly. We would want to hear other verses and to be thinking and to be praying while I'm preaching. While I'm preaching, you can be praying because while I'm preaching, I'm able to. And you're not speaking. Can you be telling the Lord, I want that kind of a relationship. Lord, forgive me that I've been more, I've been too content with the relationships of this life instead of a relationship with you. I don't want to desire anything in heaven or on earth beside thee, as Asaph wrote in Psalm 73 and verse 25 and 26. Lord, help that to happen for me. I want you to think about the divisibility of God through the Lord Jesus Christ in this event. Are you ready? Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. And it came to pass. I want you to see how busy Jesus was and how he doesn't miss anyone. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. So he's very preoccupied. He's going. Where's he going? To the house of Jairus. 
Why? Because there's a 12 year old girl there that's about to die. And the crowd is just mobbing around him. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment. And immediately, her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Oh, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. I don't have time. I would love to take that apart clause by clause. But if any of you feel like a woman that's been abused by physicians, taken all your money, you're no better, or any kind of relationship, or any situation in life, if you can get that come to the hem of his garment. If you, if you hear the words, Moses talked to God face to face, and you say, I'll never be able to do that, then just say this. Let me into his presence, and I will touch the hem of his garment. Lord, if you'll let me close enough to touch the hem of your garment, that is all that it takes. Jesus wasn't asking the question, who touched me because he needed help. Jesus wanted to expose the woman and let her give her declaration and testimony of what great things he had done for her and that he could tell her to go in peace. Don't have a doubt about that. That woman got every benefit. She got the answer of her prayer and Moses didn't get the answer of his. Moses' prayer request that he could cross over Jordan into the land of Canaan and he was denied that and he prayed it three times. This woman came and touched the hem of his garment and she got something that she had pursued for 12 years and it had cost her her living. When you go to prayer and if your faith isn't big enough to think that you can see the face of God, is your faith big enough to say, I can touch the hem of his garment? My double brother and I love Mark chapter 5 and the last half of Mark chapter 4 because it describes the Lord Jesus Christ crossing the Sea of Galilee in a storm. The disciples thought they were all going to be drowned at sea. And he made it to the other side, and what did he find on the other side? He found one wild gadarene. And what did he do for that one wild gadarene? He cast out a legion of devils that took a couple thousand sheep down a steep place and drowned themselves in the sea. And that man wanted to go home with Jesus. And Jesus said, no, I'm gonna, I want to leave you here. But you go home and tell what great things the Lord hath done for thee. Don't you ever think that you're too wild, you're too far gone, you're too crazy, you're too different for God to find you. Twelve apostles, the Lord Jesus Christ, took shipping, crossed a sea for one man, got back in their ship, and recrossed the sea for one man. That Ethiopian eunuch, he was seeking the face of God and understanding of Scripture. In Isaiah 53, as he bounced along in his chariot in Acts chapter 8, the Lord took care of him. The Lord took care of Lydia when she went out to a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. The Lord took care of a jailer and his whole family. The Lord took care of Cornelius and his family. He is divisible. So you should claim the Lord Jehovah as your own personal God. He'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. My brother leading this, my, my single brother, in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, leading the singing this morning, reminded you of the King James Bible's these and thous. You know, it's a very ignorant person that says, I want a Bible that doesn't have the these and the thous. All they're saying is, I want an obscure Bible that no longer says what the Greek and Hebrew says. Because, see, the these and the thous are necessary in order to distinguish between singular pronouns and plural pronouns. And when the Bible says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, it's quoting from Joshua chapter 1, where it was singular to Joshua. Do you know how scary the job of Joshua would have been following in the steps of Moses? To take the people in across the Jordan River into a land where they had to destroy seven nations and take 70 cities in conflict. But the Lord was with him, and the Lord will be with you. He's the only one you should be seeking. 
He is approachable. He is knowable. He is divisible. He is impartial. He makes no claims against you that you can't fulfill because He has fulfilled them all in the Lord Jesus Christ. It takes your step of faith to humble yourself before Him and to tell Him, the only relationship that matters to me is my relationship with you. Really matters. Forgive me for not making that relationship the most important relationship in my life. Draw nigh to me as I draw nigh to thee. My faith is not great, but help thou my unbelief. I want to speak to you face to face. I want to know you. I love you. I thank you for loving me from before the world began. Make me after your own heart. Form me to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. He will. If you've been living a wild, foolish, worldly life, then let your laughter be turned into mourning, according to James chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. And you will draw nigh to him, and he will draw nigh to you. If you seek him with your whole heart, you'll find him. If you forsake him because you love this world, he will forsake you. You have no idea of the pain that can come in your life when he turns you over to this world and lets you have the things that you want, but denies you the only thing that matters, and that's a personal relationship with him. May God bless the preaching of his word. Please stand with me. Father in heaven, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we boldly approach the eternal throne. And, O Lord God, have mercy upon us through Christ our Lord and grant us the presence of thyself by thy spirit in our hearts, in our minds, in this assembly, in our homes, and in all that this church says and does. But, Heavenly Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you will convince and convert every heart present that they will lay claim to that themselves, for themselves, yea, even selfishly for themselves, that they might first walk with thee themselves one at a time, and then let the residual blessings of individual saints walking more closely with thee affect this whole church. Have mercy upon us. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the food that's been prepared. We're thankful for the health and strength and safety that you have given us. We're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful that you have reminded us this day of the most important aspect of our lives. And we pray that you will see us to do it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.